Peace and prosperity is my first salute to you. I'm Merton Clark, and welcome to the Word of Truth Revealed podcast. It is my desire to build you up to increase your spiritual stamina and tenacity, to empower effectiveness and help you discover your purpose. Enjoy this vibrant and dynamic message. I like this, uh, the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, speaking of Israel or a man by the name of Jacob. Uh, his name eventually is changed to Israel. And uh, his life, uh, as he moves toward a revival for his whole family, uh, restoration for his entire family, a changing of his old character, there are several things as he moved toward God. There are several things that he put in place, and I would like to share them with you. Before any people can explore the beauty of holiness, the unique wonders or the wonderful dynamics of kingdom worship, before any people can explore the beauty and experience the unique dynamics of kingdom worship, we must banish, and I say that with strength, we must banish or exile even refuse to operate in any form of idolatry. We must refuse, banish, exile any form of idolatry. So what is idolatry? What is idolatry? And hopefully you are flowing with me. I constantly say this because we're getting in the place now where people don't like to take notes. And I think it's important to write things down. I am a teacher. I communicate the word of God. And for you to grab what I'm saying, sometimes it weighs 10 pounds each word. You need to write it down so it'll have impact in your life long after this message is over. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of idols. Whether you know it or not, it is the worship of idols. It is the worship of heroes. It is the worship of heroes. It is the, it is the adulation and the praise of ideals, even intellectual ideals. It is the intellectual praise and worship and the bowing down to practices that are not of God. It is when we have extreme admiration. Here's another word. When we have extreme love, extreme reverence for something or for someone. In other words, if we took it away, you wouldn't feel complete. If we took them away, you would feel empty. Now, of course, we need our families and we need our people, but I need to show you that there's a delicate balance. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. But don't love yourself and your neighbor and forget about God. Seek first the kingdom of God. I think I'm biblical here. And his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. The Bible says in the last days there will be perilous times where men will be more lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of flesh. Lovers of feeling. Lovers of what makes them feel good. More than that. They love that more than loving on God. For example, here's uh, uh, the way you could use the word idolatry in a sen sentence. We must not allow our idolatry or idolatry of talent or art or even artists or celebrities to obscure 
issues of biblical significance. I say it again, we must not allow idolatry of talent, the idolatry or the worship, the, the admirational love, extreme love for art or even artists or even celebrities to obscure issues of biblical significance. In other words, your artist, your art, your pleasantries, your ideals should not supersede what the Bible says should or should not be. Most people today who have any concept of idolatry, probably when they think about idolatry, they think about people bowing down the shrine, bowing down or worshiping strange looking idols, carved out images, uh, uh, statues, people bowing to statues and they say, oh, okay, idolatry, that's them. That's the people from the ancient world. This really doesn't have anything to do with me. That is a part of what idolatry means, but the term carries much more weight, uh, much more depth and density than that. It has a broader scope, and I want to bring it to your attention so all of us can sweep through. I talked about idols being on your heart shelf. Tonight, this evening, we're going to flash a light on the heart shelf, and you're going to see some idols sitting up there looking at you. You need to get them off the shelf, the shelf of your heart. So there's much more depth than those who uh, bow to shrines or bow to statutes and images. Most people say, well, I don't do that, so this message has nothing to do with me. Most people talk, uh, most people don't bow to those things. But I want to identify something in the scripture. God commands against idolatry, and it applies to believers and unbelievers alike today. So what are we talking about the King James version of the Bible, which we call the 1611. You need to know that the King James version of the Bible is called the 1611. There are several different words that uh, translate uh, as idolatry in the scriptures. There's at least there's a, I think there's four of them. I'm going to say at least three, but there's four. And I don't try to pronounce Hebrew words. I don't think or even Greek. I don't I don't speak Greek. I try to give you the definition of what it means. I speak English, you speak English, and I need you to speak English. Each one of us has, uh, uh, as it, as it, and when I first started preaching, I really wanted to speak Greek, you know, uh, especially like charisma, you know. <laughs> the Greek word is charisma, and what it really means. But you know, the Lord just helped me to understand that as long as you can give the meaning, stop trying to be deep, and just teach my word. Each one has uh, uh, a core concept. Each one of those, those biblical terms in the King James 1611, they have a core concept of serving or worshiping something other than the one true and living God. So each one of the words in the King James 1611 that speaks to idolatry has a, uh, a core concept uh, of serving and worshiping anyone or anything other than the one true and living God. And so Paul, the apostle, really brings it home in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 through 6. And I want you to just uh, go back and visit that. He writes to the church at Colossae, and he mentions something briefly, but it caught my attention. He says this in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been risen with Christ, your mindset should be somewhere else. 
If you were baptized, that means you died with him. You were buried with him. When you went in the pool, you, you were submerged, fully submerged. That represents burial. And then you came out of the water. It represents resurrection. And if you died with Christ, then set your affections. If you came out of the water and you say, I'm baptized and I'm standing with Jesus, set your affections on things above. That's where our mind and our heart should be. Things that are above earthly stuff, earthly uh, shelves, earthly Idols. Set your affection on things above, above where Christ is seated on the right of God. So our affection should be set on above our heads, above our, our likes, above our, the things that bring, bring, us, bring us pleasure because Christ is on the right hand of God. Set your affections there. Then verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. Even Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom, I'll give you the things below. But seek first the kingdom. But when you start seeking for the things below, you kind of have a way it overshadows the God that's above. Scripture says in verse 3, for you died. Here's that baptism again. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you died from self and your life now is hidden uh, with Christ in God or hidden uh, with Christ in God. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's saying not only are you looking to God, but you should have a future hope that one day when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Uh, the apostle John said it like this. Wherefore, uh, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. The world doesn't know us because it didn't know him and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we shall appear, we, when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope starts looking forward. Everyone that has this hope looks beyond the, the present, looks over idols, look over issues and begin to look under Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. And so when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Then you also, verse number four, Colossians three, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're futuristic here. We're present, but we're looking into our future with a hope to be like Jesus. Here's the word, verse five. He says, put to death. We know that we died, verse 3, in him, and our life is now hidden with Christ. He now identifies things that we need to put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, this is hard. It's hard to cut off flesh and throw it on the deck. But you got to push away. You got to push away from your earthly nature. He didn't laze it out. It's right there. Sexual Immortality, immor Im immorality, sexual immorality. He's laying it right out. I don't have to spell it out. You know it. It's called bumping and grinding. I know that's tough for you, but that's what it says. It's right there, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He's right there, sexual immorality. It's called bumping, and ain't nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. Yes, it is, because it's right there. It's right there. 
And, and you know what? When it gets dark, when it gets dark, when the freaks come, y'all don't know, but when the freaks come out, when it gets dark, the freaky nature comes out. Look at it. It's right there. We, I'm letting you know. I'm not hiding it. It's right there with everybody to see it. This is for the young folk, but this is for some old coons as well. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly, your earthly nature or its desires or appetites. It's right there, number one on the list, sexual healing. Baby, I need a little sexual healing, baby. Well, he said, put it aside. Then he turns around and said, impurities. Any impurities. You need to lay it aside. Lust, here's another one that's strong. That incorporates a whole lot, not just sexual immorality, but lust, evil desires. To desire, desire evil is to live without God. Flip evil, convert it, and you'll see the word live. It is to live outside of God's word. To begin to make excuses for what we want. And even justify our desires. They are evil desires if God is not with it. Look at the word here. And conjunction greed. Now I want you to stop right there. Because he associates greed now with idolatry. He says now I want you to know all of these things are part of our nature. And so I'm not just coming against you. All of us have to battle with sexual immorality. We have to battle with uh, 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 impurity. We must battle daily with lust. We need to battle hard. Glory to God. Go to, go to blows with evil desires. But then he says and greed. And American greed. That thing that's pushing us as capitalists. That thing that's, put, this is hard, man. That thing that's pushing us in to go after the American dream. Uh, no, no need to go for God. Don't need God to go after the dream. You just, you got to go after. You got to go and get yours. You got to find your voice. You got to find your stuff. That greed. Now, Paul says you got to watch greed because greed is tied. It's one of the seven deadly ones. But greed is tied to idolatry. It's tied to idolatry. And if you're not careful with going after the American greed, this is how you sanctify your desires to make money and to become capitalists and to do what you need to do. You must seek first the kingdom and you need to know that why God gives you the wealth anyway. He gives you the wealth so you'll get the power to get the wealth so you can establish his covenant in the earth. That's the real reason why he wants you to partner because he wants you to do something to empower him and his work in the earth so his work will never go dry. But there are people who want greed, billions and billions and billions of dollars, just three weeks without any employment. Uh, COVID-19 shut the business down, and those big-time businesses are the first ones in line to get the PPP. How much greed can you have? You should have been able to put something aside. All of you that want to counsel everybody else, counsel all of the poor people, counsel all of the people that, that you tell them to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. It's a vice to tell a man to pick himself up by his bootstraps when he has no boots, no shoes. Let's get him shoes first and get some strings in the shoes. Then you can tell him to pull himself up by his bootstraps. But you that are teaching, have you not taught yourself? If you're going to go after greed, you need to watch idolatry. So I told you what idolatry is. Now let's get to it. 
Paul the Apostle, the one sent by God, provides to us in this one sentence a current, a modern-day word about what idolatry is about, an up-to-date word, an up-to-date applicable or application of the word idolatry. In the middle of this sentence, he just throws it out there. Okay, lay aside, everybody know the big sins, but you got to watch greed now because it's tied to idolatry. Don't jump over that. Not for the church of Colossae, the Colossians, neither should you. If you're a part of Trim Nation around the world or the body of Christ, don't jump over that. You got to put it in check. So idolatry is not just venerating a statue or bowing or bowing to a carving or a painting. Idolatry occurs anytime you and I begin to value anything at any time more than we value our God. Watch this vice, watch this illness, it's plaguing our society. If you spend more time uh, thinking about your hero, getting your next jersey, then you do God. That's idolatry. I just had a wonderful time watching uh, something on television called The Last Dance, and I just really gained a deeper appreciation uh, for the 90s and what happened with the Bulls and their star, uh, Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan really changed the way we see sports. Not only did he make uh, uh, the fact that you can wear as a black man a bald head and look pretty and look nice and handsome, he changed the whole scope of how we can flow as men. But he took uh, his game to another level, became a six-time champion. And I could see millions of young people, white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, it doesn't matter. Anytime he went around the world, they wanted to see Mike. They wanted to gain a, just a glimpse of Mike. They wanted to buy his shoes. And, and, and it's easy to make a, a hero an idol. You want to pay your tithe to them. You want to wear what they wear. You want to style yourself after. I think there was somebody that did a song. I want to be like Mike. And you know what? There's something in me that wants to be like Mike, especially if I could slam, especially if I can stretch it. I would want to be like Mike. But I understand that I need to keep that in its proper place. And I think Michael said it himself. I don't really, if I had to do this over again, I don't want to be anyone's idol. Great word, Mike. I appreciate you saying that. Because there are people who look at you, looked at you on the court, and dreamt about doing it like you, forsook family to be like you, forsook God to be like you, forsook things they know to be like you, and never were like you. So if our every thought is about the latest gadget, the latest cell phone, the latest iPad, the latest technology. That's what we focus on. Or our personal appearance. I got to get my nose right. I got to get some boobs. I got to get more hips. I got to, I got to do it. I just got to do it. I just, it's on me. It's on you every day. More than prayer. More than working with God. More than trying to find out the real you. All of this is going back to the dust anyway. But what are we doing for God? What legacy are we leaving in the earth? Where is your legacy? I know, I know this is tough. I know this is tough, but wave your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care while I'm preaching. 
let me know uh, that you're with me by saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> if your every thought is about the latest gadget or the, the next hip, the, the hip replacement, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the rump part and, and everything else and, and how you're going to get tall and longer and thicker and, and broader and all of these other things and never, ever thinking about God and what his plan is for your life, that's idolatry. If your first priority in life, this is going to hurt, is your family. In other words, family's first. That's what you say, and not God's first. Because God wants your family to be first in your life, only second to him. So when he calls you, he wants your whole family saved. And when he calls you, when he calls a man, he's calling everything that came out of a man. When he said Adam, he's also saying Eve, he's saying Cain, he's saying Abel, he's saying Seth, and all of the rest of his children. He doesn't have to call them by name. When he calls the man, he's calling them. And when he calls you man, he's calling everything that's tied to you. Every child that came out of your loins, all of your businesses, everything that you know, everything that you pursue, everything that you call dear. When he calls you, he's calling all of it. So you want to seek him first. And when that happens, he includes your family. Don't get it twisted and say my family's first when you're standing before a holy God. Because what he'll do is pull out of the scriptures the first, the oldest book in the Bible is not Genesis. The oldest book in the Bible is Job. And he'll pull Job out and show you. You can have all of those things and in a microsecond they can be blown away. And what do you have now? You have to be saying all of my appointed time. I'm going to wait until my change come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Glory to God. I was young and now I'm old. This is David. Now I shifted from Job. I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg bread. I got to get that righteous part of me right first. And if I get that first, then he'll take care of my children. Because the enemy is coming to God to see what he can destroy anyway. And if your family comes first, he's going to hit you right where it hurts. He's going to hit you with the best shot. He will attack the thing that you love the most. You got to love God, hallelujah, more than anything. And when you love him more, God has a way of sending angels to protect what you love. Oh, help me, Jesus. I hope you got that. Glory to God. There's some things that we're worrying about now we don't have to worry about when we put God first. We can't even make our families first. We need to make him first. And I know that hurts, but it's Bible. Glory to God. Believe me, I love my babies. And I love my wife. And I love everybody that's connected with me. But I have to put God first because he's the one that helps me to do what I need to do. Take me, take God away from Merton. I would be a bow leg, a parrot toed, dark skinned black man that don't know what he's doing. Don't just wandering in the earth, growing a long beard, sitting somewhere on the side of a creek, sitting at the top of the bay, watching the tide roll away. I don't know what I'm doing without God. I'm, I need to have God in my life so He can bring clarity to my mind and keep my feet in a solid place and make sure I have everything that I need. This is the kind of God that I serve. He knew how to straighten Clark out because Clark would make a mess of himself without God. So why would I glorify anything that came out of me and not glorify him? Thank you, Jesus. And so let's go back to Genesis 35 and we'll see revival in the life of Jacob. Jacob returns to Bethel. 
Jacob returns to Bethel or the house of God. God speaks to Jacob calling him back, calling him back to Bethel. In other words, there was a time when he went to Bethel. He leaves Bethel and found himself pilgriming like a pilgrim journey, uh, a vagabond running from one place to the next. And then he had to come full circle. He had to come back to Bethel. He had to come back to the place that he started. And there's some people here that have been on a long track. And God, is this, this whole thing now is taking you back to where you started. Taking you back to Bethel. Bethel, another word for Bethel is the house of the Lord. And there are people who left the house. Uh, and I'm not just talking about you can't come to the house. See, God is just kind of showing us where we've been anyway. Because God is trying to show, show us that we'll let one or two things stop us from flowing here with him. And some people just give God that Sunday morning. But every other day, we got the works that, that Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 3. The works of the nature that he's already killed, glory to God. They're at work in us when God wants us to focus on him first and to kick idolatry to the curb. So God is calling us back to Bethel before you come back to the house of God physically. Let's go to Bethel now. He's calling us back to Bethel. Uh, then God said to Jacob, uh, arise, go up to Bethel. Arise, go up and dwell there. I want you to live there. You're not just going there for a little quickie. You're not going there to get a word for your hump or you need a word to push you through a depression. You need to dwell at Bethel and make an altar. I need you to build an altar. That altar is designed for sacrifice. And God doesn't really want physical sacrifices like bullocks and goats, but he does want the fruit of your lips to produce praise. And he wants you to pray on an altar. And I decree and declare that today God is calling his people back to Bethel, back to the house of God. And wherever his presence is, that's where his house. Yeah. He doesn't dwell in temples anyway. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the place where God wants to dwell. It is in your heart that he wants to sit. It is in your heart that he wants to dwell. He wants to live there. He wants to abide in you and you abide in him. And if you abide in him and he abides in you, you can ask what you will and it will be done. So I decree and declare a migration, a migration back to Bethel. And we will dwell there. We're going to stay there a while. We're going to stay there in our soul and in our heart. God says, I want you to make an altar. I want you to construct it. And I would like to encourage you. God spoke to me specifically. Clark, I want you, I want you to begin to pray to me on a daily basis. Make an altar for me. And I've made a decision that in my house that I put a, I've created an altar unto the Lord. I bought me a pillow and I have a pillow that I kneel on. And he wanted me to get in the prayer position. For years, I've been able to pray while I stand or when I drive in my car. But God spoke to me specifically that I need you to get to the altar. I need you to get to the altar. And I need you to pray. And I want you to find the secret place. The secret place for me is when I bow my knees. 
the secret place of the most high for Clark is when I bow my knees and he's for some reason he wants me to bow to him like other people are bowing to idols and how we've submitted ourselves to the idolatry in our world we've submitted ourselves bowing to it bowing to things and the people and the shrines and the stuff that make us feel good when God wants us to bow to him Glory to God. And there is a surrendering of our will in exchange for him when we bow to him. And I, I can't speak for everybody else, but there are sons of Issachar who can hear the word of the Lord. There are daughters of Deborah that can hear what the word of the Lord is. And you hear God saying the same thing to you. That it's time for you to let go of everything else. Don't let this pandemic go by with you just worrying and thinking about when is it going to open up without creating an altar at Bethel. A place where you can meet with God when no one else is around. A place when you can talk to him, tell him all about your trouble, and he will hear your earnest cry and answer by and by. And God told Jacob, I need you to go to Bethel, and I need you to dwell there and make an altar there to God. Who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother? And many of us created an altar when we were threatened. When you look back over your shoulder, when you didn't know where you were going to make it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, nobody can pull you out of prayer meeting because you were pressed into that place. You had a Bethel, a place where you would talk to God, talk to him in the night season, get up early in the morning, glory to God, before you did anything, before you got your coffee and donut, you were talking to God and speaking with other tongues as the spirit of God gave utterance. And God is calling us back to Bethel now, glory to God. He says, I want you to go back to the same place that you fled to when you felt your life was threatened. And many of us, God allowed life to threaten us in a time, and, and he moved us from it, glory to God. In other words, the life that we're living now can't even compare to the life that we had then, but we forgot the God at Bethel when he moved us out of Bethel. And allowed us to experience prosperity, allowed us to experience new cars, allowed us to experience new jobs, allowed us to experience retirement. And all of a sudden, these things are now blocking the view of our God. But God is calling us back to Bethel and wants us to stay there for a while and to make an altar before him. The same place that he appeared to Jacob when he fled his brother Esau. And just to give you a little history here, when Jacob fled from Esau, the Bible says he found a place and there was a hard rock there. And he laid down and went to sleep on this rock. In other words, he was so frightened and so fearful that he made a rock feel comfortable. He laid on a hard place just so his life was preserved. He didn't complain about the hardness of the pillow which became his, the rock which became his pillow. He didn't complain about the comfort thereof. He was just glad to be alive. And see, some people, they don't care about the fanfare. They don't need to have their name written as light in lights. They don't need the red carpet laid out before them when they come into the house of God. They don't need their name called every single time. All they want to do is be one in the number. And that's what God is about. All, all, all he wants you to do is start desiring to be one in the number. Glory, hallelujah. Aren't you glad to be one in the number? Say it, I'm glad to be in the number one more time. Glory to God. If we count you, can we count on you? 
If we count you as one in the number, can we count on you to lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us and let us run the race with patience that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Hallelujah. The author and the finisher of my faith. I don't know what's happening to me, but I feel the Holy Ghost. I can't hear many amens or crowds, but I hear the angels saying, preach, Clark. I can hear the Holy Ghost giving me unction in the spirit realm. Keep on preaching. The preaching that you're doing now is touching somebody's heart and somebody's soul. They know they have these secret heart shelf. Their heart shelf is occupied with a whole lot of idolatry, and you're pushing it to the side, God. The preaching of the word is calling us to get the stuff off the shield of our heart and put God back on the shelf. Glory to God. Arise, go to Bethel, dwell there. Hallelujah. The place that you fled when you were afraid of, for your life, thought Esau was going to kill you. I want you to tell, I want you to know something. When Jacob went to sleep there, the heavens opened up. It wasn't because he was a good man. He was a trickster. A supplanter of his brothers. But when he got to Bethel, the Bible says the heavens opened up and he saw a gate open. He saw a ladder extending from heaven, descending from heaven to the earth. And angels just ascending and descending on this ladder. And when he woke up, he said, whoa, oh man, isn't this the gate of God? The gate of heaven? And he called that place Bethel. Or the house of God. It was just a rock now. Just a place now. But because God showed up. It was his place. And he called it Bethel. And there are many of us. Glory to God. At Bethel. God really blessed us there. And we've strayed away from that place. God says. I want you to go back. A type of repentance. I want you to go back. And I need you to settle there at Bethel. The same spot that you were. When you made promises to me. That God, if you bless me, I'm going to make sure I live for you. Do you remember that? Do you remember a time when you pray, pledged to God, God, if you get me out of this, you don't have to worry about me anymore. I can't tell you how many times, especially around December the 15th to the 31st, I get people, Bishop, in the new year, I'm coming to church. I'm laying aside every weight. And if, in the new year now, I'm coming to church. I'm laying aside every weight and sin. You're going to see me in the house every Sunday. Now we're in the fifth month and hadn't seen you yet. Usually people come to God, usually, usually, usually people come to God when they get desperate. And that's why he has to take us through some stuff. But on your own free will, he wants you to return back to Bethel. Build an altar and dwell there. Pick up the prayer line. Begin to pray and talk to God. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Look at this, the whole Shechem incident. If you go back, you look at the scriptures in Genesis 31 and verse 13. The whole Shechem incident occurred because Jacob did not obey God and go straight to Bethel. He went to Shechem and there his whole family was put in jeopardy. When God tells you to go somewhere, you need to go there. Let's look at Genesis 31 and 13. Genesis 31 and 13. Jacob goes to Shechem. He shouldn't have gone there. I am the God of Bethel. 
Look at this. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed, when you anointed a pillow, a pillar, and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. I need you to go back to Bethel. That's your native land. Jacob doesn't make this move until Genesis 35. And between Genesis 31 and, verse, and Genesis 35, he has a pit stop in Shechem. And he dwelled there. Because he dwelled there. His daughter was raped because he dwelled there. His son Simeon and Levi killed all of the men in Shechem because he dwelled there. He had to run as a vagabond in the land. He put his whole family in jeopardy because he did not obey God in Genesis 31. And many of us have made some stops along the way, but something happened along, along the way. And what you used to call happy is now sad. That's why we need to go back. To the original spot is called Bethel. The only cure for worldliness or worldliness is to separate from it. For all the Barnhill folks, uh, for all the Barnhill folks, uh, you need to separate from Barnhills and get back to Bethel. Jacob had to leave Shechem and go to the house of God. And there's some places that you made some stops, some restaurants that you made a stop. And when you went there, you forgot about your original destination. I'm going to church tonight, but let me stop at Carabas and get something to eat. While there, oh, you run into a buddy and you run into another buddy. Next thing you know, y'all having some drinks and you never get to the house. What is Shechem for you? That pit stop between when God spoke to you to get back to his house that pit stop that now has you shackled and you've never made it home. Hallelujah. I can stop right there because there's a lot of Shechem's in here. Between where God uh, prophesied to you about the promise, you are on your way, but you got hung up in a place that looks comfortable. And when you got there, you start dwelling there versus dwelling in the place. I am the God of Bethel. And if he's the God of Bethel, why would you stop it in any other place? No other place can satisfy you. You want peace? Get the Bethel. You want deliverance? Get the Bethel. You want your name changed? Get the Bethel. You want things to go well for you? Get the Bethel. You and your entire family. Don't leave them behind. Don't send them to church or you go to church and leave them home. Children should not make decisions for themselves. Parents should make the decisions. In Genesis 34, you can read it in your leisure. You're going to read Genesis 31. You're going to read Genesis 34. In the entire chapter, there's not one mention of God. In the entire chapter. It's totally different in chapter 35. I am the God of Bethel. But in chapter 34, there's not one mention of God. The most repugnant chapter in the book of Genesis because there's no, in Israel or Jacob's history, 
Because there's no mention of God. And you can be uh, sandwiched between a place where he decrees and declares that he's the God of Bethel. You messed up in your life, and then there's a whole season where God is not even mentioned. Only your desires. Only your hurts. Only what people did to you. Only what people are saying to you. Only what's going on in your life with no mention of God. No God consciousness. And the same thing is happening not only to Jacob, but to God's people. Are you in the chapter where God isn't mentioned? Are you in the book, chapter, and verse of your life where God is not even mentioned in the whole chapter? you got destiny on you. You've had so many prophecies, you don't need another one. You've had so many affirmations, you don't even scripturally, you don't need another one. You've been loved and loved and loved by husband or by wife. Your spouse loves you, and you still feel unloved. If they're a place in your life where God is not even mentioned, and if God is not present, idolatry is. It's not just a something that's in your house that you bow to it or a phone. When God is not mentioned, when he's not Lord, these things become Lord. Genesis 35 mentions God at least 10 times. Not in chapter 34. You read it. Plus 11 more times God is mentioned vicariously. Like I'm the God of Bethel. You see Bethel, the house of God. Things that relate to God. 11 more times. Like 21 times in the entire chapter. But nothing in chapter 34. Glory to God. Let me just prophesy to you. For those of us that are in that chapter, that chapter of life where God isn't mentioned. Your next phase is when God is going to show up. Hallelujah. And God is about to show up. I know you've been out there somewhere. I know you've been out there praying. Hallelujah. But God is about to show up in your life like never before. He was absent in the last chapter. But very present. A very present help in the time of trouble. God will be your refuge and your strength. Oh, Jesus. So we can't stop with the fact that he's not there in your life during the season of your life because the next chapter he's going to show up big time. Ooh, Jesus. Let me prophesy again. God is about to show up in your life big time. God is about to do it way bigger than he's ever done it before big time. God is about to, hallelujah, cast the devil out and have you to not see these enemies no more big time. God is about to heal your body Big time. God's about to straighten up your mind. Big time. God is about to let the church grow. Big time. God is about to get properties into the hands of the church. Big time. God is about to raise up leaders that you've never seen before. Big time. Come on, somebody say, God, do it big. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is doing a big thing, not just a good thing. He's doing a big thing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He told Jacob to make an altar there to God. Go back to Bethel, make an altar. I want you to create a life of worship right there. The altar represents a life of worship, and I need you to start doing it, and I want your family to see you while you're there. I want you to stand in the place that you used to be. 
get back to it, the place where I met you, where you saw the heavens open. And I want you to then create an altar right there, and I want you to create a life of worship in front of them because they've been following you through the wilderness and all that. They picked up a whole lot of idols. They picked up all kind of superstitious stuff while you were out there wondering anymore. I need you to get back to Bethel so you can start straightening this stuff out. Make an altar, therefore, to God, Jacob. And I need you to create a life of worship. This return to the Lord, and I want you to get that, this return to the Lord would have an especially good effect on Jacob's children. When you return to God, your family will return to God. That's what I was trying to tell you all. Those of you all that say my family comes first, you need to straighten that God comes first. Because if God is first, he always includes your family. This is a false. I got to go on Sunday morning. We got to go and do the game. We got to listen to me. You better get in the house of the Lord. Come to one service and then go to the game. I've never seen a generation like this. I got to take care of my family. And then when they grow up, they don't even want to come home. They marry people outside of their ethnic group. Don't even like you anymore. They don't want to come home because you allow stuff to happen when you should have brought them to the house of God. What you got to do is learn how to buckle down. Hallelujah. Make sure you do everything you need to do. And even when when you do that, you can raise a child up in the way that it should go. When they're old, sometimes they just stray away. But you at least want to put a trail in their hearts so they can think about God and come home. This was important for Jacob's sons. Each one of his children were born on the run. Outside of Bethel. And many of us have birthed things outside of God's scope. Ooh, I'm preaching tonight. You birthed it outside of his scope, but he's bringing you full circle. Bring all of them, all of the things that you birthed out there in the wilderness, bring it back to the place where you originally started. Ooh, Jesus. This thing impacts Jacob's children like you never would believe. And Joseph needed to come there. Joseph needed to see Bethel. He had destiny on him, but you never would have seen it, him rise to preeminence if he didn't, his father didn't return to Bethel. It's one of the best things parents can do during this season is teach their children to choose to obey God. Choose the path that God has for you, and he will bless you. Jacob told God before he had any sons or daughters, if you bring me back here, I'll give you 20% of whatever you gave me. One of the reasons why God loved Abraham because he would command his children. What came out of Abraham was Isaac. What came out of Isaac was Jacob. And Jacob started commanding his children. As I close, the cleansing of Jacob's family. Jacob said to his household, to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Hallelujah, glory. This is Genesis 35, verse 2. This is what he told his family. Look at the word. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your idolatry that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel. 
And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. In other words, even though I wasn't acting right, he's always watched over me. And some of you need to say amen. That God helped me when I wasn't acting right. Even when I didn't have faith, he still watched out for me. And if he did it then, he'll do it now. So they gave Jacob all of their foreign gods. Notice, his children, not the community. His children started bringing the things that they had in their satchels. Things that they had on their heart shelves. They brought it to their father. Foreign gods they had. Little images. Pokemon. All of that. <laughs> Y'all don't want me to mess with your stuff, right? Harry Potter type children. Broomstick riding. Brew creating. Spell casting. Charm. They gave Jacob all of the foreign gods which were in their hands. And earrings. No bishop ain't taking up earrings. You can wear them. These earrings were crafted under the furnace of an idol god or deity. And sometimes when you start wearing things crafted, it may look pretty to you. I will pray before I let anybody put any jewelry on me. Because some things were crafted by Satan himself. And when you wear it, this is why you're confused in your mind. He feels like he has a right to visit you in the night season. And it's based on his stuff you got locked up in your house. You got stuff locked up in your house. You got stuff from college. You got stuff from a previous life. You got stuff in the cupboards. You got stuff that you still love. And because you have it, he feels like he can visit your closet. Once you get rid of it in clean house, he has no right to you because the curse does not come causeless. So they gave Jacob all of their foreign gods which were in their hands or their possessions and their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under, he hid them under the terabith tree which was by Shechem. In other words, he was kissing Shechem goodbye. The things that he collected while in the wilderness, he said, I'm not going to take it into my Bethel. And there's some things you need to drop off, hallelujah, before bringing it back to your march when you come into the house of God. You need to let it go. You need to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't find pleasure in those same things. I'm making a move, hallelujah. I'm doing what God wants me to do. There's some stuff I'm not going back to. I'm closing the door to it. Glory to God. Put away your idolatry. Put away your idolatry. And Jacob's new capacity as the patriarch is even more evident. It's revealed in this passage. Patriarch doesn't mean you just sit on the throne and tell people what to do. You need to be an example. Just as his grandfather Abraham was the patriarch and he went up to Canaan in obedience to God. Jacob then arises and goes up to Bethel when the Lord appeared to him in Shechem. I want you to take for a moment as I close any idol that may be lodged on your heart shelf. I want you to remove the idolatry. 
Remove the idolatry opens up the pathway to a fresh, vibrant, and dynamic worship experience with God, a lifestyle of worship. You cannot truly worship God with a cluttered heart shell. So take a moment and think about idols that take your time, your energy, things that you hold so dear that it plagues your thoughts. You can't even rest. You can't cast no cares on the Lord because you're worrying about it. It can become an idol. Hurt can become an idol. Pain can become an idol. Thank you, Jesus. I know I preach hard, but really my heart is sensitive because as I'm seeking the Lord, I'm finding that there are idols in my life. And I'm removing those idols. Every man of God, every woman of God should read Genesis 35. First read Genesis 34. And you're going to see a godless chapter. And all of the hell that plagues a man or a woman when God isn't present. And then in chapter 35, Jacob says, if I want revival to come to my life and ultimately impact my children, then I need to make sure my house is right. And I need to get rid of the illness called idolatry. So take a moment and put away any idol that may be lodged on your heart shelf, tucked away somewhere. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Even now, I decree, Holy Spirit is speaking to you specifically. That thing that's rising up in your mind right now. Notice Jacob says, you need to get rid of all of your idols, which are in your hands. This is not something you got to worry about or think about. This is right there, right in your face. It's right there. It's right there. God is concerned. He loves you so much. He's identifying the idolatry that's in your hands. So let him take it away. Cast it away. Jacob hid that one under the chair. The Shechem tree. He burned it. And you need to leave it in the land of your rebellion. And not try to bring it into Bethel. There are people who are trying to bring Shechem into Bethel. Your past life and the things you like. Trying to pack it to make it fit in God's kingdom. It's not working. It will not work. Do you mean to tell me you can teach God on Bethel? You can teach God's principles with the stuff you're bringing out of Shechem? You must cast it out. It's the sacrifice of praise that God requires his people to let go of things they love you have to give it up you love it and he'll say this is what the price is for a closer walk with me you gotta let it go so let it go you've been hurting oh too long Surrender now. Come on, John Peaky. He'll show you how. Just let it go.
It doesn't have any power. It doesn't have any might. It can't save. The power that it has is what you give it. It's what you give it. The importance is what you put on it. And the one working the witchcraft is Satan himself, some demonic spirit that makes it look attractive. All of the stuff that we pamper in this flesh, the flesh really doesn't have drive. It's the heart, the software in the flesh. It's your nature in it. Anybody in a coma, they have no movement because the flesh is just like that, dead. But once the, once the heart and the, the mind starts coming back, then the fleshly desires kick in. Got a report that a man was on in a coma for 30 days and on Sunday, this is a report. They came out of the coma, not able to talk and, and able to speak, thought he was gonna die because of Corona, but the whole thing was turned around because God is able to turn it around cast it off cast it away and let God work it in your life Father I thank you I thank you for touching hearts and I thank you for lifting spirits today and I thank you for the desire even the wherewithal to put away the idols in our lives we repent we come back to the place I once knew you Thank you, Andre Crouch. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. Take me to Bethel. If that's your prayer, say amen. And let God touch you. Because that's where we're going, back to the place where we first believed. God bless you and keep you is my prayer. Listen, my friends, as we close our service tonight, I want you to think about sowing a seed. I want you to think about giving. It is important for us to give regularly. There are people who are prophesying that the church age is older. I'm surprised at that, how weak is our faith. Nothing has hindered the church uh, from growing even in the world wars. It has been a real joy to share the word of God with you. A special thank you to those who care for this ministry. No amount of financial support is too small. It is because of you this ministry is possible. To support us, go to our website at truthrevealed.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share with friends. Be sure to tag us when you share at Trim Nation One. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'll see you at the Word of Truth Revealed.